0: What is up, Substance? Make some noise, church, wherever you are at. Man, you made it! You did it, you made it to church. And if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter, and uh, I just wanna welcome, could I have everybody in the room here today? Help me welcome everybody in downtown, West Side, Monterey, Mexico, all the churches joining us, wherever you are at, we are so blessed. To be able to dive into God's Word together, uh, but before we do, I, I want to set it up with a little story. I, I, many of you guys know I love reading a lot, and I, I uh, was reading a newspaper article a long time ago about uh, a junk collector in England who would go around and he would he would antique, but he would also kind of he would look for scrap metal and then uh, he would you know buy it, melt it, all that kind of stuff, and of course his. This particular, this junk collector, he had a grandson who bought one of those uh, little dart guns. Remember those dart guns with the, they probably don't even make them anymore because they're not safe. But uh, I, used to, I used to get the little rubber darts and then terrorize the dog with it. You know what I'm saying? They're perfect. Uh, no, but he, he needed something more healthy uh, from a, a target practice. And so grandpa dug through his junk pile, found an old metal cup uh, that he could shoot his darts at. Well, you know, over time, the dart gun and the cup found the Way into the junk bin like all old toys do, right? And as the grandson got older, he happened to be cleaning out this old bin thinking, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff away. And he, he found the old cup and he, he, you know, as an adult, he's now thinking, wow, this kind of weighs a lot more than I remember it as a kid. And uh, the cup is kind of artistic, had a face of a woman on both sides of, of this carpet, uh, cup and it looked like it was made out of like brass. And so he thought maybe it's worth something, the old scrap. And uh, so he, he brought it to some auctioneers to appraise it. And they're like, dude, that is not brass. That is like, I think that's gold. And he's like, no, that's not gold. And he's like, yeah, I think that's literally pure gold. Like, what, like look at it. You can see the impression here on the bottom. And, and then he realized oh, maybe this is worth something more. And so he brought it to an antique dealer, had him look at it and, and appraise it. Okay, get this. Um, that little toy cup that he used for Target practice was an ancient Persian relic dating back to 400 BC from the Achaemenid dynasty, okay? It was a solid gold chalice forged from a single sheet of gold worth almost a million dollars, okay, so, a museum piece. Okay, now, when I heard that story, it kinda made me think, I, I, I wonder if the junk I have in my life is worth that much, and the answer is no. Uh, some of you are like, that's, that's how I justify hoarding. It's like, you know, it could be worth something. N- no, but for real, I, I I thought it's kind of a great metaphor for a lot of our lives. There are certain things in our lives that are probably worth more than we're esteeming them. I think there's things in our lives, priorities that we're under-prioritizing, and, and uh, things that maybe we're not esteeming enough value to. I always tell Parents, hey, love your kids even more than you want to. You know, love your marriage even more than you feel like. I, I think ultimately the, the things that we chronically undervalue in our lives is actually our relationships. I, I, I've noticed that uh, just as people get older, the things that they talk about the most are not their careers, it's not the money made, they made, it's not their professional successes, it's their grandkids, it's their long-term friends. Uh, you know, I, I don't think people are, are, are overly concerned about, uh, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of the success that like 20-somethings and 30-somethings kind of obsess over uh, are, are just not as big as maybe you think. And so the, it's relational wealth that's really the most important thing. And, and that relational wealth doesn't merely apply to heaven like winning souls and things like that. I, 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 you have to understand, relational wealth actually applies right now in this life. Many studies show that the odds of surviving cancer, stroke, heart disease doubles based on how many friends you have. In fact, actually, friendship factor actually has a huge impact on happiness. Your odds of overcoming addiction, working out, you're 37% more likely to work out if you've got good friends in your life, the more socialized you are, you name it, it doubles in a good way, positively. And and church, that's why we're always talking about getting you more connected on ministry teams and small groups. It's just that you need these relationships even more than you might feel like it. And of course, but, but here's the paradox of relational wealth, okay? That, that, what makes relationships so complicated is that intimacy also creates conflict. I mean, the very friends that help you work out are also the ones that irritate you the most. What is up with that? They hold a mirror to your, your flaws and they they confront you. They hold you accountable. And does anybody know what I mean? It's like the more friends we have, the more likely we are to be called out on things like attitudes or or bad habits. And so... I, but, but here's how we can, we can work that out. I think a lot of times the reason why a lot of people run from relationships is simply because they don't have the negotiation or confrontation skills in order to navigate healthy conflict. A lot of us, we have a, we've inherited dysfunctional approaches to managing conflict, and so as a result, we think, oh, we're better off being isolated when, the, when, when reality, it's the exact opposite. No, you need relationships. You just need to learn how to deal with them in a healthy way. And I, I'm convinced a lot of us don't know how to fight fair. We don't know how to fight like heaven, if I could say it that way. A, a lot of people, they, they've inherited negotiation skills from, from dysfunctional families or 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 we just simply don't understand what the biblical approach to fighting really looks like. Hence our series called Fight Night. It's really all about healthy fighting. What is biblical confrontation actually look like, healthy versus unhealthy. How do we do it in a way that transforms pain rather than transmits pain, okay? And, and here's the good news, okay? The Bible actually gives us all sorts of supernatural advantages that can change our coworkers, change our, your boss and your employees. Come on, somebody. You need that. It can change your marriage. It can change your parenting. It can change your extended family. But I think a lot of Christians, they don't even, they, they rarely tap into these supernatural advantages Simply because they haven't truly ingested what the Bible teaches on conflict and, and, and really pull those promises from heaven down onto earth. And so, to start, what we're gonna do is, is this week, I'm gonna talk about kind of the fundamentals, okay? So, this is kind of the building blocks five fundamental hallmarks of biblical confrontation. And if you're willing to pay close attention, I'm just telling you, I guarantee you at some point, they're gonna spare you from unnecessary relational fallout. And so everybody, repeat after me, I wanna be life-giving. Wanna be life-giving. Now turn to your neighbor and say, don't be life-sucking. <laughs> you know which neighbor you need to turn to, okay? Yeah, yeah, don't do it, don't, don't do it. Okay, now I, now just, just to be helpful, I, I made you all a digital handout that has a lot of additional references. And so if you take out your phones, your little cameras, it should give you a little link automatically. And so I'm gonna stand here very awkwardly and just pose here so that you can just point your camera at the screen or wherever you're at. Or if you're watching later on, just just honestly, just Google fight night and then Peter Haas and the, the notes will show up. But I, I'm gonna give you dozens of additional tips and tricks that are gonna help you Figure out how to, so even if you have a very tough case situation, maybe you're, you're in a, you know, like, what about my boss? What about my spouse? And, what, you know, they're hopeless. No, they're not hopeless. There's actually a solution for every situation. And I'm going to be giving you all sorts of, really, a book's worth of conflict handouts are going to be uh, arriving on my blog over this this coming week or two so just make sure you check that out but here's the idea okay let me let me give it to you like this if you and i are followers of christ and someone hurts us offends us or maybe you're just hey you see a habit in someone's life that is wrecking their their life okay at some point you're going to have to do these five ideas and there's there's an order to them the the five hallmarks of biblical confrontation There's a sequence to it, and if you do it right, I'm just telling you it's going to keep the train on the rails a little bit more, okay? So somebody offends you, or maybe you see something that is critical in someone else's life. This is what the Bible says that we're supposed to be doing, okay? Number one, confrontations must be done gently and with humility, okay? So if if our confrontations are not gentle, unfortunately, there's a lot of of Christians who confront the exact opposite of this. But as you're about to find out, there's millions of Bible verses, really, that address this, 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant, what we're about to read, is this is a description of what the Lord's servant must do. If you're a follower of Christ, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Man, I think a lot of times you watch the news, you watch politics, it's the exact antithesis, and we catch the spirit of the world rather than changing the spirit of the world. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Did I emphasize that enough? Okay, I'm just trying to be dramatic because I think that there's an emphasis here that we need to, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to Every, what is kindness? So I I hate to even break it down like this, but I'm just saying, what is kindness? Well, the Bible actually tells us wisdom from heaven is is pure, peace-loving, it's submissive, it's sincere. Uh, James 3.17, okay, kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Gently. In other words, there's something about, you know, a gentle confrontation that enables people to repent. I wonder how many people are incapable of repenting to a rebuke simply because we didn't do it right. We actually created, actually a rebuke can create rebellion, Romans 7 which is the exact opposite of what we want. That's why, so if I could summarize it, maybe modernize that scripture, I think the Apostle Paul would say, Christians never write snarky social media posts. And some of you are like, no, that's my gift. (laughs) No, that's not your gift. You know what I'm saying? People are just unfollowing you. I, I think a lot of times we confront, not because we actually love people, because it makes us feel good. It's catharsis. In other words, us, sharing our truth actually has nothing to do with transforming pain it's us just making us feel good like ah oh, i feel so much better now that i vomited all over the world you know what i'm saying listen uh, like again the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome okay that's again wisdom from heaven james 3:17 is peace loving and submissive I wonder how many of our expressions really don't qualify. It's why, it's why, like in our family, we made our kids all memorize Ephesians 4.29, um, which is, do not, let any un- do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, if, if it's not helping people become better, then just don't say it. And, and sometimes it's not even what we're saying, it's how we say it, okay? It's the spirit in which we say it, okay? So that leads to the second attribute of biblical confrontation. This should be dripping from Christ followers. We run to tension quickly. In other words, we don't run from tension, we run to tension. We don't brood, we don't stew, uh, we immediately call people up. In fact, actually, Ephesians 4, uh, 20 26 says, don't even let the sun go down on your anger. Don't even let a day go by without a phone call. In fact, actually, Matthew 5.23 basically says, don't even bother worshiping if you're offended. Go straight to the person. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Don't whine to your five friends. Don't listen to country music in the dark. I'm just trying. I'm I'm, I'm preaching to somebody, right? And why? Why does the Bible say do it quickly? Why does the Bible say, "Well, well, a lot of times, we actually are, our assumptions are wrong and so we're actually stewing over wrong information uh, and, and it creates you have to understand what it does is when we when we delay it creates an environment a lot of times in our heads where the devil can whisper almost anything to us and that will ultimately disunite us well why does the devil want to disunite us because again there's super mega power in unity the bible says Matthew 18 19 and 20, that if two or three of you bind anything on earth, it's going to be bound in heaven. Well, the devil hates that. He doesn't want unity between any two people. And so he's going to do anything he can to divide. And, and so Jesus says, deal with tension quickly because ultimately it's robbing you of power, the miraculous. You don't have miracles in your life because there's actually disunity in your life. There's there's tension, and the devil's exploiting it. He's whispering things that aren't even necessarily true. And so run to tension. A lot of times you're gonna realize, oh, that wasn't even a big deal after all. Even when it is a big deal, again, confrontations number three, the third step, is they must be done privately. Going to the source of the problem first. Let me give you the evidence of it. Jesus was talking about. Conflict in Matthew 18, 15 through 16. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, not at Thanksgiving dinner, not in front of all your friends, not in front of, not on social media. Okay, you go privately, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Awesome. It's great, okay? But if they will not listen, okay, even worst case scenario, Jesus is saying, hey, take one or two others along, just some, you know, again, a mutual third party so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, he's just saying, hey, just make sure that because sometimes you're all up in your head. You're hearing things that, that aren't necessarily being spoken. So bring in a third party that can kind of help both of you think straight. And, and if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, it doesn't mean like, hey, come to church and be like, hey, let me tell you about everything going on in my life. No, he's saying, he's saying assuming that this is a church member, a person that you're having conflict is, another Christian, involves some other Christians. If they refuse to listen to even basically in the community that they're attached to, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Well, what does that mean, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector? That means just separate from them, okay? And and I'm gonna explain that in a second, but the whole point is, is you go straight to the person. Now, I remember, like, now, growing up, I did not have a whole lot of uh, enemies in high school. I didn't really have hardly any enemies in college. Uh, I just, again, when I became a pastor, it was almost very disconcerting to me because it was the first time in my life I've actually had people like start accusing me of stuff. And I, I realized that it was really my first time in leadership and now I'm making decisions that are, are, are you know, it was the first time in my life I actually had uh, decision-making capacity that could upset people. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, I, when I first became a, a youth pastor, um, I had uh, this one moment where I got called into the senior pastor's office to get confronted. And I knew it was not good because uh, the the text was not very happy. And my senior pastor, my boss, was standing there. And there were two elders standing next to him. And they did not look happy whatsoever. And the moment I walked in, one of the leaders in the room just exploded on me. Past, like, Pastor Peter, I... have like, I am so disturbed by your behavior, and just started going off, and I'm like, "My, what do you mean? Like, well, how in the world could you teach my son to go out and do what you taught him? And, and it was like this, basically, he was confronting me, saying that I gave his son permission to go out and sin, and of course, uh, like, just how in the world could you dare teach this and teach that? And I finally, I'm like, hold on, I, I, time out, like, I have no idea what you're talking about, like, I, I mean, I never would have said that, I, I've never taught anyone that in my entire life, in fact, this is what the Bible teaches, the exact opposite, secondarily, I would never, ever teach your son to do that, like, on top of that, I mean, really, the entire accusation was, was nonsense, well, well, finally, we, we were pulling this knot apart, like, well, what in the world, then how did this, what was this, and we by the time we got to the bottom of everything, it turned out that his son got caught lying, and he covered it up with another lie and said that, well, I gave him permission to do this and none of it ended up being true. his son ended up owning up to it and but here was the problem that by the time we got to the bottom of it, uh, this leader had already talked to like twelve people by that point, and you know, including spouses and and, and literally as the confrontation was happening i'm getting all these church members texting me, is it true that you taught elder so-and-so's son that he could go out and do this stupid thing? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like people chill, you know, like what the heck? And, and now I'm overwhelmed because now I'm thinking, cancel everything you were about to do for the next two weeks because now I have to do like 13 coffee appointments to clear up your, my reputation. And so finally, I looked at this particular leader, and I'm like, why didn't you just come to me first, Matthew 18, 15? Why didn't you come to me privately? And and he was pretty honest. He was like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter. Actually, to be honest, I was scared. I was scared, and so I decided to just talked to my spouse, and then my spouse got alarmed, and then we both decided we wanted advice, and so we went to our friends and talked to them about it, and then all my friends were all kind of whipped up, and we decided, let's go to your boss. And I'm like, well, I want to punch you in the face. Does that mean I get to do it? No, we don't do what we want. We do what the Bible says. We go to each other, and I didn't actually say that to him. I wanted to say that after the fact, but I, I just... You know, so then we both just took some deep breaths and 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 I forgave him and, and he forgave me for you know perceived offenses. And it suffices to say we both learned a valuable lesson on on why the Bible says we've gotta go privately. And 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 in a modern psychological term for this, this this idea of involving people unnecessary unnecessarily is called triangulating. It's adding a third access, a third person into a conversation unnecessarily before confronting the person in private, okay? And and maybe you're out there and you're like, oh, but, you know, Pastor Peter, is there ever a time I should involve other people? Well, yeah, there's always the rare exception now and again, but I, I, for the most part, feeling afraid to do a confrontation is not reason to involve people unnecessarily, Okay triangulating, and so I, I always encourage people, hey, listen, Th- that's why, the, in fact, the only time you invite people, step four, only after confrontations fail do we talk to or involve a righteous third party, okay? So uh, to, to, to go back into it, again, let me just read this again. If your brother and sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over, great, but if they will not listen, then... Take a righteous third party, someone that you respect and they respect, so that way you can work this out. So now, the reason why I bring this up is because if a person comes to you and starts whining about another person, as a Christian, we are obligated to ask, have you talked to them directly first? Because if not, as the old saying goes, shut up and giddy up get out there talk to them because triangulating then and under that circumstance is actually a form of gossip a form of slander a form of politicking in other words you're feeling insecure you want to make sure everybody agrees with you and is going to back you up in case the fight goes south right listen that's not that's not biblical and we've got to avoid that we have to resist that so again if the if the confrontation fails then Go and take a person, and if that fails, then the fifth thing is separate yourself from them. Remember, it says, you know, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Well, how do they treat a pagan or a tax collector? They would just separate, okay? They wouldn't publicly malign them. They would separate, okay, if that makes sense, okay? So if a person comes to you, basically, it it, it doesn't say post it on Facebook, notice. It doesn't say write a blog about it. It doesn't say make all of your friends choose your side in a bitter dispute, okay? It doesn't say, actually, it doesn't say anything about going public. If you really want to know, if I, you could probably add a sixth hallmark about when do you go public. Well, you go public only if, the beha- if it's a predatory behavior that's going to drag a bunch of other people down. In other words, if it's a personal decision, hey, you want to touch this hot stove Go ahead and do it. Let's see how that works for you, okay? I don't even need to judge you because sin itself judges you. you. You know what I'm saying? But if it's, a, if it's something that's a predatory behavior, then you go public, okay? And by the way, this is just Confrontation 101. Next week, I'm actually going to give you all the advanced skills. This is just the baseline, okay? Now, there's actually, uh, I, I, like, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's going to be fun because I'm going to help you become a confrontation ninja. And... Uh, and we're going to go several steps deeper into the psychology of confrontation, how the body reacts when somebody confronts us. We actually go into fight or flight. In other words, even it, it, if you confront in a certain manner, it'll cause even a teachable person to become unteachable. But it's not the it's not the truth. It's how you are sharing it that will affect things. So we're going to talk about different hacks that will actually enable you to transform pain rather than transmit it. Um, and, but let's coming back to these five. Hallmarks, okay. Five fundamentals of confrontation. When I share these, every time I've shared them in the past, most Christians already agree with all five of them. Then what's the problem? Well, very the 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 truth is, very few Christians actually apply them because they always think they're the exception to the rule. But but but, Pastor Peter, you don't understand. I was just getting advice. No, you weren't. You were just gossiping and politicking yeah but 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 pastor Peter, i don 't think I, I preemptively decided they 're not teachable, and therefore I invite, invited all my friends. well, you didn't actually find out if they were actually unteachable did you Did you do that? You see, I, I remember a while back there was this one particular family who had left our church and And it was a family that I had kind of done everything for over the years. I would bailed them out of tough times. I paid their bills. I even gave them a car. I had paid for their date nights. I was the shoulder that they cried on. And, And, of course, I made one decision that, obviously, they didn't like. And not only did they quit the church, but they did it in a very public way. And next thing you know, they were posting on social media. I came upon their social media post, and it was of another church. And it said, we just love our church that preaches the Bible. Hashtag Blessed. And I'm like, oh, like as if somehow all of your friends who are now currently at our church are now looking at you, oh, now you're at a biblical church. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was just, I was, I was like, no, you didn't. You know what I mean? I was mad. I was like, I will unbless you, hashtag unbless you, you hashtag righteous jerk. I mean, everything in me... <laughs> Everything in me, I just wanted to post on their post so that they knew I saw it. Oh, I'm so glad you're at a church that finally preaches the Bible. And, and then I thought, no, you know what I should, even better, I'll just post a, a post about my church and say, I just love our current attendees. All capital current hashtag mega blessed hashtag super duper blessed and then people would be like what's up with all the hashtags what's going on I, and I come on let's admit it when people use childish forms of con- confrontation like texting or social media it's easy to kind of mirror that to sink to that level I, I in fact I've actually had to tell my staff over the years um, it's it's one of the rules for leaders in our church is you never confront through writing, and why? Writing is just an inferior form of communication. It's very prone to misunderstandings. Most people, if they read a written confrontation, they'll read everything as if it's written in all caps all the time. Even if your heart wasn't to be all caps, I think a lot of times, when people write out their confrontations they also say things they would never say face to face there's something about looking someone in the eye that maybe softens it a little bit that allows you to maybe even communicate your heart a little bit more that 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 a, a written word will never be able to do and so i'm always telling my staff hey if someone writes you a snarky text or email never ever ever respond with the same medium, always upgrade the communication. Upgrade it to either at least a phone call, if not ideally face-to-face, just because it softens the whole conversation. You start to see, oh, this is a spirit for, a, this is a person whom Christ died for. It suddenly humanizes the individual. It, it, it will give them at least a little benefit of the doubt. And so, but, but let me tell you, when that guy wrote that on social media, I was like, mm. My wife actually found, she could see, I was just walking around, just pacing. And she goes, Peter, what happened? She always knows exactly. It's like she can read me like a book. And and she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, what do you mean what happened? Nothing, nothing happened. And she's like, Peter, you're pacing. And you have this look on your face. And I'm like, okay, okay, fine. And then I, I told her what had happened. And she was just like, Peter, just call them. Just call them up. You still have their phone number in your phone. Just call them up. Just tell them how their post makes you feel. And I'm like, I don't want to call them. I don't like them. I want to write up social media posts. You know, like, no, 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 no. Just call them. Tell them how your post made you feel. And uh, immediately, I, I could sense the Holy Spirit just bringing Scripture verses to my heart. And Matthew 5.23 just erupted. Peter, be quick to run to tension. Don't run from it, run to it. And and that's the problem. When you memorize scripture, it'll just come up at the moments where you need it most, but you don't want it most. (laughs) You see, that's because God's word is alive. Hebrews 4.12, it's living and it's active. It penetrates into dividing soul and spirit and it'll jump up. And really what it'll do is it'll save you from walking off a cliff. It'll save you from saying the word that'll make you feel good, but will ultimately not make you feel good. That's what sin does, is it makes you feel good temporarily, but then it it, it costs you more in the long run. And, and so finally I was like, oh, okay, I'll call this person up. And I called him up and I'm like, dude, what's up, man? I, I saw your social media post and I gotta be honest with you, it kind of kind of felt like, and maybe, maybe you didn't intend this, but it kind of felt like you were being passive aggressive about me. I mean, come on, you know, like you have a million friends following your social media and you know it looks all, like a very, very clear comparison, like an attack on our church. And, and you know, at first he denied it, but then all of a sudden he was like, fine, okay. You wanna know the truth? And it was just like unloading a dump truck of, of information you know, this, 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 this. And of course, you know, a couple of his assumptions weren't even true and I was able to clear them up really quickly. One of them was absolutely right on and I was able to own it and I'm like, you know what? That's actually my fault, my bad. I am so sorry. Actually, I should not have communicated that through that particular leader in that particular way. And I was able to own it and I'm like, bro, just so you know, that was a mistake on me, but just these, there's also four assumptions you're making that aren't true Whatsoever, And actually, it turned out to be, uh, a huge portion of it turned out to be a misunderstanding. One of our former staff members had said something to him that misrepresented me, and I'm like, I am so sorry you had to experience that. It was, you know, like, I mean, the bottom line is, is this is not a perfect family whatsoever, okay? Um, this church is like every other family. It's dysfunctional, and we're all growing together. In fact, and we know that. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And I, I was able to clear up a bunch of stuff, and... and um, you know, and he was in, all of a sudden, he broke, and he started owning all sorts of things, I don't know why, this made me insecure, and then I did this, and then I, I was, you know, like, it ended up being a really, really beautiful conversation, and by the time it ended, you could just tell there was a, there was a spirit of love, there was a spirit of unity, really a spirit of, of restoration that came back, and you know, what was really cool about all of it is about five years later, guess who came back, that, that, that guy and his entire family, and and um, and who preaches the Bible to him now? I do. Hashtag super blessed. <sighs> no, and I and I even asked them. I even asked him if I could share this story, and he knew I would be a drama queen about it, and it's all good. But it's actually beautiful because we're good friends now, and, uh, and and actually we're able to do ministry, and, and we're able to fight the real adversary, which is the devil, not each other. And here's the deal, church, stories like these are, are, are actually, it's not even evidence of dysfunction, ironically. Um, I believe that God will intentionally allow certain misunderstandings to come to the service because he knows if they're handled appropriately it'll actually result in a deeper level of unity and a deeper level of intimacy, and it will even allow a deeper level of agreement and power to flow in that relationship. In fact, some of the most powerful relationships are the people that you've had good, you uh, like I love the relationships where I've had several good fights that have been repaired, fight and repair, fight and repair. In fact, actually, uh, the, the relationships where you've had several blowouts with that you've actually, and yet you're good now, those are some of the most strong, stable relationships you could possibly get. It's kind of like a a, a broken bone. I I broke my left arm uh, like way back in high school and it's actually a stronger bone now than this one. And and I I think about how how if, if you allow Christ to come into some of those relationships, it can actually be more powerful if it's handled correctly. Does that make sense? That's why the Bible says love each other deeply 1 Peter 4.8, above all else love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. And what is love? Well, uh, the Bible defines it, 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love is patient, love is kind. Well, when it says love is patient, the Greek word translated patient means way more than patient. It's a Greek word called macrophemia and and it's translated patience because that's kind of the best word you can come up with in English. But really what it it carries a greater term and it's this, the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. That's what macrophemia is. Love is patient. The capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. Think about that. Can you imagine if you and I were saturated with macrophemia, saturated with an ability to be wronged and not retaliate? You see, that's really what Jesus was saying with turn the other cheek. He wasn't saying be a doormat and have no boundaries. He was saying, no, you have to understand the nature of all relationships are that somebody's gonna hurt somebody. And so that's why we've gotta be. Good at not retaliating instantly. Because, listen, if you, if you have macrothemia, God can actually use you to actually help a lot of people. And how do we get it? How do we increase macrothemia in our lives? Well, First John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. In other words, we receive the love of God as freely as you have received, freely give, Matthew 10. In other words, it flows in you and through you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. We remind ourselves of that, that God actually gave us this type of love, unmerited favor, so we can actually return it through other people. But that's why we surrender and worship is because we're filling up so full that it just naturally flows out of us. And here's the truth. Every single year I've been a leader in the body of Christ, God will expand my capacity to be patient through irritating people. The presence of irritation is not Automatically dysfunction. It's how you deal with it. And and is it because God is mean? Is he just trying to afflict me with tough people? No, the opposite is because if he knows that I can help be a conduit that transforms pain, guess what? He's gonna trust me with as many people as possible. Why? Because he wants to populate heaven and depopulate hell. And guess what? He wants to use you to do it. And how does he do it? Macrophemia. You being filled with love. Intimacy is forged conflict and if you and I can learn how to handle that conflict and how do you how do you handle conflict without becoming weird well here's the secret be grounded in the love of the Father just one last scripture and we just think about this we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose he's always working it out for your benefit always 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 no human can rob you of the blessings that God intends you to have can they temporarily delay it sure But you know what, ultimately, if you would just surrender to God in the middle of that, he's gonna guarantee that not only you get justice, but that you get restitution. You get paid back even more. In fact, God is gonna make sure that you are so taken care of that someday you might even thank God God that he allowed that to happen because you're going to have wisdom, insight. God is going to make sure that he takes care of you. He's always working things out for your benefit. You don't have to worry about other people taking things from you, your reputation, co-workers, butting in line for your promotion, your boss not giving you a fair shake, your spouse not really listening to you. We don't, the reason why we're able to be patient with all of those people is not because God wants you to be a doormat, but because he's like, hey, hey, loved one, if you can trust me, and show them love, even in the midst of this circumstance, I'm gonna so take care of you that you're actually gonna be glad when all this is over. You see, when we're secure in the Father's love, it gives you an unlimited supply that you can share with other people, why? Because you know that you know that you know that you know that God is gonna cause things to work together for you. You just have to chill, let him use you. And so here's what I wanna do, is I wanna end with this. Just who is maybe the person who is irritating you the most right now? Who, you, who are you most, intent, who, who, who is the person you rehearse their sin more than anyone else? And maybe it's not a who, it's a what, it's an institution. Maybe some of you get really passionate about politics. I want you just to even, just allow God to point these things out because those are the areas where the devil might try to trap you. And I want you to ask yourself in those areas, are you, are you applying the biblical pattern of confrontation so that you could transform it rather than transmit pain. Father, you see all the people in our lives. And Lord, some of us are carrying some pretty deep wounds and only you can heal them, Lord. There is no earthly circumstance that will ever satisfy us or heal us aside from you. And I just pray for your life to flow into that situation. I pray. That whoever has been hurt or victimized, that you would know, that they would know so deeply in this moment that you are taking care of that situation 100%, 120%. You're going to go above and beyond to make sure that person is taken care of. Lord, I pray that, that we would just receive that life so thoroughly in this moment that you would enable us to do the unthinkable, and that's walk in forgiveness and love. In fact, right even now, I have this sense that some of you, you're holding on to unforgiveness because you think that's how you get justice. And yet the Lord would say, no, 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 no. Forgiveness is not letting people off the hook. It's letting them off of your hook and putting them on God's hook. It's actually removing yourself as the conduit of justice. And God said, I never designed you to be the conduit of justice. I designed you to be the recipient of my love, the peacemaker. Father, I pray that you would release us from catching the spirit of the world and that we would actually be a part of something greater and that's your kingdom. And so just flush out all of the toxicity and fill us with the peace that can only come from you. And maybe you're here today and you're new to this whole Christianity thing and you're like, wow, this is a little counterintuitive, but I love that feeling of peace. Listen, all you gotta do is simply receive the peace of God by simply inviting him into your life. And if you've never done that before, I wanna invite you to do that simply by repeating this prayer after me. And even if you've done this a million times, I want you to do it again because there is nothing better than re-surrendering our lives to the Lord. And would you do that with me right here? Just say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today. with that prayer, say amen, amen. I'm just telling you church, God wants to transform your relationships and his plan is good. And, And I'm just gonna tell you, you're gonna become relationally wealthy and you are gonna reap the dividends of heaven as we move forward through this series, amen. With all that said though, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.